Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a worldwide community of people who are using the practices of mindfulness, compassion, forgiveness, and generosity to heal the pain and suffering that addiction has caused in our lives and the lives of our loved ones. This podcast is for all those interested in and all those already practicing refuge recovery to find freedom from addiction of all kinds. To support this podcast and your refuge recovery, please donate using the link in the show notes. The sixth aspect of the Eightfold Path tonight, we've been through, uh, I think we're seven, seven or eight weeks into this Thursday night sort of book commentary process I've been offering for Refuge. Welcome. Thanks for joining me. We can break the Eightfold Path down into three sections. The first two sections, understanding and intention, are considered wisdom factors. The second three that we did the last three weeks, um, the second uh, chunk, third is um, communication and community, um, effort and uh, service and, and renunciation. And uh, last week we did livelihood, and now we move into the last section. This week, the next two weeks, um, are considered the meditative, the skills of meditation. Um, Tonight is effort. Next week is mindfulness. The following is um, concentration. Now, tonight's factor, effort, I mean, I'm going to read and comment on on what's in the book. Um, But effort really applies to all of our practice of Buddhism, all of our recovery, it takes work. It doesn't happen all by itself. And although I might be saying stuff that I'm about to read, uh, I just like to say there's that common thing that happens for us when we get into recovery where we get lazy. (laughs) And we were willing, almost all addicts are willing to work so hard to get drunk, to get loaded, to... Uh, you know, maintain the addictions. We put so much effort into active addiction and then we get sober and we think like, well, I stopped using, I stopped participating in my addictions. I've maintained, I've established abstinence. Now, shouldn't recovery just come to me? And of course, that's not the case. The case is, um, and, and this is the, the Buddha's teaching here, the sixth factor, in order to experience the Four Noble Truths, in order to really embody the Eightfold Path, we're going to have to put a lot of effort. Uh, the Buddhist word is virya, virya um, which translates as something like a vigorous amount of effort. So you can just po- po- pause for a moment, and does your recovery feel vigorous? Does it feel like doing the inventories, going to meetings, practicing meditation, being of service, starting meetings, supporting meetings, tuning into Zoom, hosting Zoom? Does it feel like you're putting a vigorous amount of energy into training your mind, into showing up for your recovery? Um, Because on some level or another, this is the the Buddhist teaching, it should feel like a, a vigorous application of our life's energy. So we'll have some discussion after I'll read these pages. Not such a long chapter. 
Chapter 10 starts on page 71 of the Refuge Recovery book. Effort, energy. We commit to the daily disciplined practices of meditation, yoga, exercise, wise actions, kindness, forgiveness, generosity, compassion, appreciation, and moment-to-moment mindfulness of feelings, emotions, thoughts, and sensations. It's a long sentence. (laughs) That's a vigorous (laughs) amount of energy asked for. We are developing the skillful means of knowing how to apply the appropriate meditation or action to the given circumstances. Recovery is an act of intentional, intentional redirection of our life's energy. This is where the intentional application of energy comes into play. Everything we have talked about so far takes effort. None of these practices or principles are easy to develop. We all have the energy necessary for this, but only with wise and intentional use of that energy, that is with effort, can we master these liberating practices and avoid the habitual reactive tendencies that create more addiction and suffering in our lives. Some of the ways we must use our energy and effort include avoiding the things that create suffering, replacing harmful thoughts and actions with thoughts and actions that create well-being and peace, developing wisdom and compassion through meditation and wise actions, and sustaining the wisdom and compassion that arise through careful attention. When it comes to training our minds and hearts in the path of recovery, each of us must find the balance of applying the right amount of effort. Not so much that we get strained, not so little that we get spaced out. Developing a balanced effort and energy in our spiritual life is key to our recovery. We will offer some basic guidelines for how much time and energy to put into meditation. But ultimately, everyone will have to find their own balance with these practices. The image of a stream works well for the implied effort that it takes to recover from addictions. In the beginning, we are all floating downstream, following the currents of our cravings and habitual patterns. At some point, we become aware that the currents are dragging us down and that we are no longer free to choose whether we drink, use drugs, gamble, eat, or have sex to excess. We then realize that we have become addicted and that life is passing us by. We can no longer reach the shore and the undertow grows stronger and stronger. In the beginning, we may have had the illusion of safety. Perhaps we are floating along on a raft or even a yacht, but addiction destroys our craft and leaves us floundering, drowning in the stream of addiction. We eventually wake up and realize that we have to stop. We have to find a way to get back all that we have lost. We want to go back to return to sanity, to recover. So we turn to the spiritual practices of refuge recovery. The four truths give us the tool to start going against the stream. 
refuge recovery is a reliable raft, one filled with people just like you who are also turning around the direction of their lives. In the early days and months of recovery, it can be a struggle simply to stop floating down the stream in the old habitual ways. Relapses may be part of your experience. Just stopping and staying stopped takes a lot of effort. There we are flailing away in the middle of the stream and we're doing nothing but trying to stop going downstream with the current. Then when we renounce and become abstinent, we're stopped, but that's all. We haven't begun to make progress in the other direction yet because we're in the center of the stream trying to swim against the current. If we put too much effort into it, we feel tired and overwhelmed and it's easy to give up and simply float downstream again. We have to find a sustainable balance of effort. The skillful way of practice is to not force yourself to the center of the stream with an over exuberant effort. As anyone who has tr ever tried to swim upstream discovers, you can't go straight up the center of the current. You have to swim diagonally towards one side, then across toward the other to make any progress. This requires a balance between effort and relaxation. Only a steady and relaxed effort will carry you upstream against the current. It's that kind of steady and sustainable effort that allows addicts to make progress with their recovery. As we, as we bring awareness to our habits, tendencies, and worldviews, we may see only how confused we have become. Sometimes all we can see is what we have lost, but eventually we will come to know that we are safe again, that we are now heading in the right direction, against the stream, against the old reactive tendencies and selfish pursuits. And although we long for quick progress, we can achieve nothing until we find the appropriately placed, the appropriately paced techniques. The Buddha likened spiritual effort to the tuning of a stringed instrument. If the strings are too tight, it doesn't play correctly. If the strings are too loose, it doesn't sound right either. The path to recovery and freedom takes great effort and fine tuning. Here are some suggested guidelines for developing a recovery practice. From the beginning, start with the practice of meditation right away. Meditation is the most important tool in supporting your renunciation and beginning your recovery. Begin with the simple breath awareness, concentration practice. And after a week or so of renunciation, abstinence, begin to alternate the forgiveness meditation on page 223 with breath practice every other day. Eventually, we will want to learn and practice all the meditations offered. But in the first few months of practice, we encourage a focus on concentration and forgiveness. Two to six months, meditate for 20 minutes daily. Go to as many meetings and meditation groups as you can. Ask someone from the recovery community 
to mentor you and call him or her regularly to check in about your practice of the four truths. Complete your, four, your first truth inventory and second truth inventory. Perform weekly physical practices like yoga, dance, or other exercises with mindfulness. Six to 12 months. Increase your meditation practice to 30 minutes a day and begin expanding the mindfulness practice to include forgiveness practice in your meditation for at least 15 minutes every other day until you have no more resentment. Attend a weekend retreat. Begin making amends as part of the forgiveness process. One to five years. Begin daily meditation of 45 minutes in one sitting or split into one 30 minute and one 15 minute session. After the first year of renunciation, sobriety, abstinence, begin practicing the four foundations of mindfulness and the heart practices of loving kindness, compassion, appreciation, and equanimity. Incorporate more and more mindfulness and heart practice in your daily life. Complete the amends process. Attend a seven to 10 day silent meditation retreat yearly. After having completed a retreat and finished your amends, begin mentoring others. Do an annual inventory on your recovery, looking at how you are currently engaging with the four truths and the Eightfold Path. What are the weak links? What needs more attention and effort? Five to 15 years. Stay involved. Continue to practice. Share your experience, time, and energy with the newer people. Include the forgiveness practice in your meditation for at least 15 minutes every other day until you have no more resentments. Try to attend a longer retreat that is one to three months in length. Continue to do an annual inventory on your recovery, looking at how you are currently engaging with the four truths in the April path where are the weak links? What needs more attention and effort? 15 to life. Stay involved, continue to practice, and share your experience, time, and energy with the newer people. Include the forgiveness practice in your meditation for at least 15 minutes every other day until you have no more resentment. Continue the annual inventory on your recovery looking at how you are currently engaging with the four truths and the eightfold path. Where are the weak links? What needs more attention and effort? So reflecting on effort, your own effort, where you're at in your process of recovery, where you're at in this, you know, from the beginning to 15 to life. Um, is this something that you are engaging with? Are you taking this suggestion? Are you applying it to your life? Are you um, systematically doing the forgiveness practice? Are you systematically expanding to 30 minutes to 45 minutes a day? Um, this is the kind of effort. And, and to be honest, I know some people look at this and they think, wow, that's a lot. Um, a lot of Buddhists uh, would say, you know, this is kind of a bare minimum what's being asked here. That what the Buddha 
um, taught and the, the encouragement to, to live this on our whole life. I was once doing a, a longer retreat. I think it was a two week, 14 day retreat and um, with, a, with a monk from Burma. And at one point he was asked how much daily practice do we need to do to make progress, to really make some progress towards liberation. And his first answer, and this was through a translator, but his first answer was, you need to meditate for at least four hours a day <laughs> to make progress towards liberation, towards freedom. And then he, you know, backed it up and he said, you know, but if you could, you know, four hours is too much, you're busy, you know, American householders. And he said, you know, two hours is probably good, a morning in the, an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, you'll make some progress with two hours a day. And then, uh, and then he said, and I don't believe this, but I'm going to tell you. He said, and if you meditate for less than two hours a day, you're going to just be backsliding. <laughs> you won't be making that much progress against the stream. The currents are so strong. It really is asking for a dedicated practice. So my own recovery um, has mostly been, you know, in the beginning doing 20 or 30 minutes, then doing 45 to an hour. Um, I've rarely had a daily practice that was a two or four hour practice, mostly only do that kind of formal practice on retreat. Uh, daily, daily life, it's usually an hour or less. So I know from direct experience that it actually is enough to make progress uh, for sure. But, uh, you know, I'm also somebody who says, hey, five minutes are better than nothing for sure, but you're not gonna make much progress in your recovery if you're not really putting the time on the cushion, as well as all of the other factors uh, on the Eightfold Path. So important, especially in the beginning when you're just training your mind, you'll get to the place where mindfulness becomes more natural, where forgiveness becomes more, um, there's the more um, kind of, of a natural response to forgive rather than hold to resentments. But we have to do so much effort to train our hearts and our mind in that direction. So I want to have some dialogue with you. What are your thoughts about this? What are your struggles? Where are you at with your own recovery? And how much effort are you putting in? And, um, and please tell me why it's too much. <laughs> and why uh, you feel like recovery should be easy rather than take a lot of work. If that's your attitude. <laughs> so I will take questions now. You can raise your hand. If you'd like to discuss this aspect of refuge recovery, any other thoughts you have? Kobe, I'm going to unmute you. Hello? Yes. All right, great, thank you. Uh, I don't think this is difficult. I love the way this is broken down. I've never seen this before. Um, I'm kind of new to, to the whole refuge recovery thing, but this actually makes it sound very manageable and, and um, possible. Um, so my question is, uh, as far as like the, 
the inventories and stuff if you know because like right now it's hard to to get to meetings and stuff i haven't found someone to to ask to mentor me do you recommend going to that and and working on it myself through the book without before i have a mentor or would you recommend finding a mentor and then taking it then uh, my own sense is that it's absolutely fine to start writing, you know, just pen to paper, do start working on your inventory. And at the same time, when you're hitting the online meetings, uh, if you hear somebody that you relate to, that it seems like, you know, they've done their work, they're doing their practice, ask them to, to mentor you and um, have that accountability that we get through that process. I think it's, it's really nice to have that somebody to check in with, somebody to uh, be accountable to. Thank you. John, go ahead. Hey, Noah. Hey, Sangha. Um, yeah, I, uh, I was thinking a lot when you, uh, especially after what you just mentioned about being able to go through it um, by yourself. Um, in my experience in 12-step programs, I've noticed that when I'm trying to decipher or understand um, in, my, in, in my head, I have a hard time um, really getting the right translation of, of books, or especially if I'm doing an inventory or writing, that it's really important for me to have somebody to bounce ideas off of because things can become extraordinarily cloudy in my head and I can misinterpret or um, because of my um, you know, uh, addiction, I, I think that's part of it is I have a tendency to um, come up with maybe the wrong conclusion um, I, I would also say that, um, you know, um, thank you for this program and uh, it's really changed my life it, it, for the small amount of time I've been here. Um, I have noticed that um, for the last month I've been going to meetings online. Um, there's not a re refuge recovery where I live, um, but I have never once in a Zoom meeting seen a mentor to ask. So I'm just curious um, if like what you would recommend as far as finding people to, to, to help translate and to move us through, through the program. Thank you, that's it. Thanks, John, appreciate it. And, and glad, you're, glad you're with us. Um, you know, this has, been, this has been an issue from the beginning. You start a new recovery program that has a sort of uh, uh, process of, of mentoring. And then everybody's like, well, I'm new too, so I can't, I can't mentor either. Um, and uh, again, there's this procrastination or something that even people that have been around for a long time for some reason aren't doing their uh, inventory so that they don't feel like they can raise their hand because they haven't completed it themselves or, or whatever to, to mentor. My sense is that in the meantime, maybe just a friend, you know, like accountability is still good, even if it's not, um, you know, somebody who's feeling qualified to mentor, just people in the meetings that you, that are doing it and say, hey, 
um, we, can we kind of do this together? I like the accountability. I like to bounce things off of you. Um, you know, there's a lot of people in refuge that have been in recovery for a long time, but maybe they've primarily done 12 step or something. So they don't feel so confident about mentoring in refuge, but one of those people would probably be a good person. Um, and in the meantime, I think that we just have to reach out to each other and, and, and lean on each other and ask each other for help. And even people that are newer than you, you know, to bounce things off of. Um, and then there are the resources if there's things that are confusing, translations, you're not sure what it means. Uh, and there's people like myself or Rachel or Joseph, the people who are kind of on the board that are here to support you. We are available to, to bounce things off. You know, you can email me or, um, you know, and, and maybe we can also point towards some people who could mentor you. Um, so we're, we're so happy to do that. And it's such a grassroots movement that uh, this won't be an issue in another five or 10 years when enough people have been around, but it's, it's still an issue. And so you're, you're not alone in it. Um, and maybe I've kind of, I made a pretty high bar for mentoring of like, do you have to have a daily practice? You have to be sober for a year. You have to have finished your inventories. And as I'm saying with this effort, like it's not that high of a bar, <laughs> like we should be able to do this. It's part of our recovery. It's going to save our lives. Um, and more than save our lives, it's going to give us a, a, a life that we want to live, you know, more than just sober, but free. Um, so I'm always, you know, wanting to encourage, like, let's do it, everybody, let's do it. And uh, I'm certainly not asking you to do anything I haven't done myself and the hundreds of other people that have done it, thousands at this point. So maybe even here tonight, John, uh, I see a message from Mike to you, great guy out in Boston. So he, he sent you a message in the chat. You can connect and maybe some other people. One of the useful things of these gatherings, one of my uh, roles, I believe, as a teacher is uh, helping people connect with each other, not to be reliant on the teacher, but to facilitate Sangha happening and for us to get together and as refuges created as this peer-led thing. We do it from relying on each other. And, you know, and also mentoring is strange, just like in 12 steps. And, you know, sometimes you'll get a real kook to be your mentor and they'll give you a whole bunch of bad advice. Like that, that's gonna happen too, <laughs> you know, like it's just inevitable. Um, so we have to use our own discernment and, and not um, do too much projecting on our mentors. Uh, as having all of the answers. And, and there is that core Buddhist uh, teaching, which says, you know, uh, to your own self, like, you know, no external refuge and everything that you're looking for is in here. That having been said, we take refuge in the Sangha. We do need accountability, but ultimately we do need to trust some inner wisdom and not always externalize it. And I feel like a good Dharma teacher, a good mentor, a good uh, person mostly is just mirroring back to us what we're looking for, you know, just, just like a good therapist just is, you know, asking the right questions, not just giving us all of the answers. Hope that's helpful. Anybody else that uh, feels willing to help put your messages in the chat? put your contact info in the chat to connect with people, anybody else looking for mentors 
this is a good place to connect with each other. I see a question from Shannon. Hi, everybody. Happy Thursday. No, you mentioned kooky and bad advice. Was that because I had my hand raised or <laughs> just saying? <laughs> um, and not so much of a question as much as a statement. Um, in regards to how much work we have to put in, I mean, if we look back at our time using or our time and relapsing or everything we put our effort and energy into, it's, it's not asking much. Um, it's focusing our energy on something that's going to allow us to live a healthier, um, more sustainable existence. It's, it was overwhelming at first for me. Um, I have nothing but love for 12 step, um, but the inventories and the meditation practice allowed me to dig deeper and not just address my issues with chemical dependence, but my issues with food, codependency, um, you know, all of these things that, you know, I was saying the other day, without this, for me, it's like addiction whack-a-mole. It's like one thing pops up and if I'm not able to treat all of my addictions under one umbrella, like I'm fucked. And I know that, pardon my, my language. Um, but just trust yourself, trust those of us that um, are walking this path with you. Um, it's scary, but it's worth it. And, um, you know, may you all be well, and I'm happy to be here with everyone tonight. So thanks for my listening to my ramble. Thanks, Shannon. Phaedra. On mute. Hi, thanks, Noah. Um, thank you for everyone for being here tonight. Um, yeah, I guess I, I wanted to say, I know our morning Sangha, we were talking about, uh, I think Richard Alonghi was saying that, um, there's a possible group that's forming that's going to be working on the inventory together like an online zoom group with our sangha so i'm just putting that out there i know it's in the works it hasn't been um confirmed yet but i know that's something in the works so that i think that'll be um quite exciting when that does happen um yeah kind of piggybacking on what everybody else is saying with like efforts um I know right now not working, uh, I'm putting in a lot of effort. I'm really new to this particular program and path and I'm just, I'm loving it. I'm loving what I'm getting out of it. I'm loving the people I'm connecting with, um, what's coming up for me and, and how, I'm, how I'm dealing with it. Um, I think I have some concern about, uh, like I'm going back to work on the second and I work away remotely and I work long shifts, 10 to 12 hours as a chef. Um, and I, I think part of me worries a bit that like, I'll still do my online meetings, um, but I'm, I have a bit of, I don't want to quite say fear, concern that I might not do enough when I'm there. And uh, so that's something that, you know, I really, this daily practice is really helping me set a schedule um, and a routine. Cause for me, that's uh, something that's very important uh, with my sobriety and my recovery. Um, something about, uh, something I was curious about with mentorship, I guess it's a twofold question. You know how the other program, you're only supposed to be female, female, male with male, like, 
is there any kind of rule about that here? Because, you know, if I jiving with someone of the opposite sex, like I'm going to have to do this all remotely because there's no meetings around me and I won't be able to get a mentor in person. So, um, you know, I don't worry about any kind of like sexual crossover or whatever. So I'm just wondering if that's something that anybody's ever brought up. Um, thank you. And uh, glad you're with us. Thank you. Um, it's not, as far as I remember, it's not addressed in the book. Um, and, you know, it seems fine. It, you know, it's, it's situation to situation. Right. It really, it really depends on um, our own boundaries, our own tendencies, our own... Um, maybe history with with you know sexuality and and certainly the kind of same gender thing is a way too heterosexual normative to really make sense you know to put that out as any kind of rule because that's just only for straight people would make any sense <laughs> um but I, I, I my own hesitance would be you know if there is a sexual attraction that it could get um, messy. So, uh, you know, we are to be quite careful. And of course, um, any sort of sexual activity or even, you know, flirting sexual activity between a mentor and a mentee would be absolutely inappropriate. And we do have to be careful in recovery. We're a whole bunch of sick addicts, um, trying to help each other, you know, and we all have our own confusion and all of that. But um, we've seen, you know, a lot of predatory behavior in recovery rooms. Um, so we got to be quite conscious of that um, and make sure that, you know, not putting ourselves in, in that kind of harm's way. So there could be a you know, situation where it would be totally fine and then other uh, situations where it wouldn't be such a good idea. But certainly no hard, fast rule against it. My own encouragement would be, uh, somebody who you're not sexually attractive, attracted to would be. <laughs> yeah. Okay, thank you. Welcome. Um, Brendan, you can, I see your question. You can answer it. Um, just unmute yourself. Okay, thanks. I, I know, thanks for uh, doing this and super grateful to be here. Um, I was just kind of looking for some feedback um you know i have a couple years of continuous sobriety and um you know doing the 12 steps and everything like that and i've always been kind of interested in doing this i did it at the beginning and um you know kind of put it away for a little while and i'm kind of diving back in again and i was wondering if you have any sort of like recommendations or tips about if somebody were to you know stay active in both um or the you know both communities um and you know what your thoughts are on that you know with me it's like being an, an addict um i found myself once i was getting sober that i wanted all the sobriety so i wanted to you know join every meeting and i wanted to sponsor people and i wanted to read every book and so it's like you know sometimes i find myself where i'm like okay i need to focus on this one or you know just if there's some sort of tips you give on that like where we find kind of a happy medium or you know, just any, any feedback you have um, in regards to kind of doing that. Thanks. 
Thanks, Brendan. Appreciate it. I don't, I don't feel like I have a very good answer for this. Um, I think it's an important question. Um, at some point, especially in the early years of refuge, uh, I thought that probably um, the majority of the people were doing both 12-step and refuge. That certainly has shifted now that we're six years in. Um, I, I think that maybe the majority just do refuge and don't do both at this point. Uh, I'm somebody that continues to attend 12-step. I've you know, been going for over 30 years. I continue to go um, for a lot of kind of personal reasons. Um, it's nice to be in a meeting where you're not the founder and you're just a member. And so that's important to me, my, you know, so I continue to do that. Um, but as far as how to split your energy and your effort, um, I don't know exactly, you know, I, I've actually heard 12 step, you know, people who are more primary 12 steps say, well, do the 12 steps first and then you can do the refuge process. Um, uh, maybe a refuge kind of more primary but refuge person would be like, well, do the refuge inventories first. They're way more thorough than the fourth step. Like, you know, you're going to do the fourth step as part of your first step inventory. You know, you're going to do all of that resentment and then 10 times more inventory work. So focus on refuge. I can't, I, I don't, I'm not, I can't really land on, on what, I mean, of course I believe in Buddhism um, uh, and practice Buddhism as, as my primary uh, way of being and, and, and you know, recovery process. And it definitely does feel um, to me more thorough than what I learned in the 12 steps. Uh, and as, as Shannon was just saying, you know, the, the way that in refuge we're addressing every manifestation of craving, <laughs> whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or food or relationships or clinging, or, you know, that really we're doing this very thorough investigation of the human condition um, and not just focusing on one form of ism, right? There are no outside issues <laughs> uh, when it comes to our recovery and refuge. If it's an addiction issue, it is addressed here. Um, so I think you have to find your own way on what's your own, you know, the, the reading talked about the balanced effort and finding our balanced effort and, and the, the strings, right? Not too tight, not too loose. Um, so finding that balanced effort and I don't know what it will look like if you, uh, you know, maybe it'll be a 50-50 split of I go to, you know, three refuge meetings and three 12-step meetings, or maybe it'll be, um, you'll find that actually I prefer some of this community and, um, you know, I, I'm somebody who, uh, especially before refuge existed, uh, Buddhism was my practice and my worldview, but the 12-step people were my community. Uh, and I, you know, and so I went, you know, there and I went to Buddhist groups, but um, so you have to find also if you're in a place where there's not a lot of refuge meetings, you, it even says in our book, you know, like go to 12-step meetings, you'll find your people there. So not everybody does that. Not everybody likes that suggestion, but, um, you know, I just encourage you to, to find, find your own balance with it and, you know, do the inventories and do the meditation practice. And so much of the principles that we're practicing overlap within the kind of 12-step world or the Buddhist world, um, meditate, do inventories, be of service, um, take refuge in community, whether you call that fellowship or sangha, 
there's so many similarities and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the model of helping each other, you know, one addict helping, helping another. So thanks. Thanks for the question. Welcome. Philip, jump in. Hey, thank you. These are great. Um, I just wanted to touch on the effort and energy. Having done um, a mix of refuge and and 12 step stuff at the same time in the beginning, that was super helpful in terms of just getting over like the hump of being sober, like abstinence. That was wildly helpful to just have as many things to literally occupy my time as possible. But just to share an experience in the last few months, doing the 108 and 108 has been like by far the most uh, like grounding in like the habitual act of doing all the practice where like, I've just gotten a lot out of that. I've already been sober for like over half of a year before I started doing that in the last three months or whatever it's been. That's like been the thing where doing the practice doesn't feel like a chore. It just feels like what you do. And quite often when I don't do it, um, I don't think I miss it like a crackhead misses crack, but I miss it in a way of like, oh, I haven't done this thing that I do that usually fulfills me. So like, I don't even know what my point is. The point is doing that has been wildly helpful, even as somebody who had been abstinent for quite a while. Um, and it's just made me more engaged with recovery in every which single way. So like, I know it sounds a little bit much, but uh, it's fucking helpful. <laughs> That's, I don't know. That's not a question. No, I appreciate it. And I mean, one of the things that I heard was, um, and, and that's, I think it's very common that something that feels like it takes a lot of effort, like meditating every day or going to lots of, you know, doing the hundred and he's usually referring to this challenge that we put out of like do 108 meetings and then in 108 days, you know, like do a daily um, a meeting. And in the beginning, it feels like, oh man, that's a lot. I'm not, you know, but then once you start doing it, you're like, oh, this feels so good. I want to keep doing it, right? That it's not an effort. It becomes a pleasure that, you know, it's like going to the gym or some sort of exercising. In the beginning, it feels like, oh, this is so much effort. But then you, you know, you get a kind of a healthy attachment, a healthy connection to your meditation practice, to your participating in community, to service, to, to what we're doing here. So I, I get that. I think that that's, thanks for sharing that, Philip. Michael. Hi, Noah. Um, I think of, it's not a, it's not a question, just a statement. Um, I think of like with my, with my addictions, the amount of work I put into them was fucking staggering. Um, I, I thought about it earlier today. Um, staggering like in, 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 in very like just debilitating, like physically, mentally, and spiritually, um, soul gouging. And, you know, I, I look at refuge and, um, you know, I think about what Shannon said earlier about it being so like refuge being so inclusive. And so like, everybody's welcome. And that really feels good for me. And then to, to have some guidance in this chapter, with uh, forgiveness meditation and, and breathing is great, you know? And I've been practicing like since December and um, 
it's it's just absolutely been amazing for me and uh i appreciate the guidance in the book um you know i i, I have a background um like professionally and and with school where i had a lot of structure and guidance so it's something that definitely works for me and um you know as far as workload goes i look at the workload of using and being an addiction is just like all consuming and it, it just this feels like so much easier comparatively you know i mean i'm just so grateful for this program and other and other 12-step programs i too i'm a member of another 12-step program and and i feel like like you said there's a lot of overlap and bridges between the two programs and um i'm just really grateful for the guidance and um i see the workload in this a lot less than the workload was when you were fucking using or or in your addiction was just you know very tiring like to the marrow you know absolutely and this practice actually alleviates suffering not like getting loaded or acting out in our addictions which just creates more suffering <laughs> this uh this path however much effort it takes uh there's a you know there's a, a cumulative experience of becoming more kind more loving and more forgiving and more free um and that that's you know that that's where we're not doing you know yes abstinence 100 percent, stay sober but it's so much more than that so thank you and thanks everybody i think we'll leave it there for tonight and uh, next week we'll uh, jump into mindfulness the four foundations of mindfulness um donations are appreciated to help support refuge recovery world services i don't receive any financial support from doing this i'm doing this as service just happy to be of service um but i am uh, help, help, happy to help fundraise for refuge recovery i think joseph will put the link in the chat if you'd like to do that you can go to uh, the website and, and make a donation. If you can afford it, please consider doing that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Refuge Recovery Podcast. To learn more about our program of recovery and to connect with others on the Refuge Recovery path, visit our website, refugerecovery.org, where you will find information, meditations, and links to both in-person and online Refuge Recovery meetings. This podcast is brought to you by Refuge Recovery World Services, a nonprofit created to support our network of refuge recovery groups around the world. Thank you for listening.